The following study is a Sunday morning lesson given by Pastor Brett Metter at Athey Creek Christian Fellowship. Let's get to it. Why don't you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. If you weren't with us on Wednesday night, you might be saying, Brett, uh, Isaiah chapter 1, didn't you guys cover that? Not exactly. Uh, I was planning on getting through two chapters, but I got through half of a chapter. But Isaiah is chock full of powerful, important lessons. Uh, We're going to really be blessed. Uh, Isaiah is a real um, high point, if you ask me. And maybe the verse before us this morning might just be one of my faves in in all the Bible. Um, The more I think about it and uh, uh, meditate on this scripture, I'm just totally blessed by it. Um, But but before we enjoy this beautiful verse, you kind of have to hear the horrifying words before it. It makes it much more powerful, much more poignant if you, if you see the context. If you were with us on Wednesday night, basically the Lord speaks through Isaiah the prophet and says, children of Israel, you're totally whacked in sin. You're messed up. You're tweaked out. And it gets it, like so graphic. The Lord, man, he lays it on heavy, heavy, heavy. And one of the things we'll see in Isaiah is it's a roller coaster ride and it's got extreme highs, but it also has extreme lows. And the first half of this chapter, chapter one, man, it plunges to the depths of, well, let me just give you a a refresher course. Why don't you uh, look backward? This won't be our main text for today, but go back with me to verse 10. There in chapter one, verse 10, it says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, wait a minute. One thing you need to understand is Sodom and Gomorrah are long destroyed. They've been gone for, you know, hundreds of years. So what's God doing? He's telling the Jews and Israel and Judah that they're basically Sodom and Gomorrah. He's using it as a metaphor. You guys are basically Sodom and Gomorrah. That's pretty heavy. Verse 11, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings, rams, and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of rams, uh, lambs or he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. Uh, it is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Do you get the Lord is just a little bit perturbed here? Man, he's saying, when you come, you know, in in our lingo, it'd be kind of like when you come to church and you lift your hands and worship, oh, Lord, we praise you. Meanwhile, you're worshiping Astrith and, you know, uh, Baal and Moloch and and you're living totally you know sin-filled lives and the Lord says your your worship is an abomination to me if if you think your your prayers are going to be heard dream on I'm not going to hear your prayers and he said I'm sick of your sacrifices wow that's pretty heavy only God can say that they come with their lambs and rams and and their bulls say, look, Lord, we're sacrificing to you. And, and, and really what they were doing is they were using the temple and the sacrificial system as sort of a doormat to wipe their feet. The grace of God is a doormat to wipe their feet as they went into the temple and said, okay, we're, we partied down last night and we're totally living a, a life of debauchery and sin. But oh, praise be to the Lord. And the Lord says, 
I'm not going to hear you. You're, even your incense, which is a, is a um, sort of an idiom that links to prayer. Even your prayers are an abomination, he says. Wow, this is heavy. So the question is, what's the Lord going to do? What's he going to do to these people? Because we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Man, fire and brimstone rained from heaven and just crushed the city of Sodom and the city of Gomorrah. Um, Just a horrifying, brutal, bloody situation. Is that what the Lord's going to do to his people, the Jews? Because he calls them Sodom and Gomorrah. Why doesn't he do the same exact thing to them that he did to the, the Sodomites and the people of Gomorrah? Well, the answer is something that's kind of cool. The Lord made a covenant with his people, a promise that he would not destroy them. And um, that doesn't mean there wouldn't be punishment. It doesn't mean there wouldn't be pain and suffering because of their own sin, their own behaviors. But the Lord, he, he says something here that's just kind of profound. So you, you hear this horrible description of how sinful they are. And then the Lord says this, and let's get to our text for the morning. He says... Come now, verse 18, Isaiah 1, 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What a glorious and beautiful invitation the Lord gives to the children of Israel in the midst of their debauchery and sinful condition. Come now, let us reason together. You know, sin is pretty horrifyingly bad. And and it's funny because we tend to think that sin is bad because, well, God doesn't want us to have any fun. So you can't do this. You know, you can't drink and smoke and chew and go with girls that do. Uh, You know, you, 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 you think, man, what's the deal? Why can't we have any fun, Lord? But the truth is, as I said even last week, and I've said before, you know, sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. It messes you up. You see, before we can really fully appreciate this verse that's before us, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they'll be red like crimson, they'll be white as wool. Before that can actually really do anything for us, we have to understand how bad sin really is. Um, if, you're, if you're taking notes, jot down a few things about sin that I think is kind of important. First of all, sin always, always brings about sorrow. When we sin, we don't think it's going to bring about sorrow, but it does. And Numbers, you know, 32, 23 says, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. It, it's not God's going to find you out. He saw it all from the very beginning. But it's your sin that catches up with you and brings about sorrow and pain and suffering. Sin brings about sorrow. Just ask Achan. There in the book of Joshua, you know, chapter 7, we read about Achan and his family. Remember what Achan did? I remember as a kid thinking his name was funny. He was Achan because he was stupid. How, how stupid was he? Well, there he was. As the walls of Jericho fell inward, uh, you know, uh, 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 and, or outward, I should say, and um, and the Lord crushed uh, Jericho. And then the children of Israel went through. But the, the Lord said to Joshua and the people of Israel, don't take anything from that city. It's all cursed. If you take it, you'll be cursed. Well, there was Achan, you know, mopping up in battle and, you know, kind of cleaning up in Jericho. And he saw there some Babylonish garments. Ooh, fancy. Like Prada or something. Today's terms. Or 
Armani. And he thought, wow. And he looked this way and he looked that way and he grabbed this stuff and he grabbed some, a wedge of, you know, gold or whatever and wealth and hides it. And he sneaks home and he, and he, and he buries it under his tent. It's kind of funny, you know, if you, if, you, if you got an Armani suit, you know, and you're one of the Jews and suddenly you walk around wearing an Armani, you're kind of in trouble. Where'd you get the Armani suit? Um, it's not like they had stuff like that around there. And so he had to bury it under his tent. He couldn't even enjoy it. He stole it, but he couldn't enjoy it. So he buried it under his tent. Well, the next battle, they go to this little tiny podunk town like AI. It'd be like if they just conquered Portland, the next battle is Dundee. So they go to wipe out Dundee, and they get totally crushed by the men of Dundee. That's, that's kind of the equivalent of what, what would have happened there. They went to Ai, and Joshua and his army, they lose. And so Joshua says, Lord, you said wherever we put the sole of our foot, man, we're going to have victory. And the Lord says, someone has taken of the accursed thing. And Joshua's like, well, who did that? We'll get all the tribes together. So Joshua gets all the millions of people in a huge group and says, okay, and he starts thinning out the, the, um, the tribes of Israel. And eventually the last tribe that's there is, oh, as it turns out, Achan's tribe. And then he starts doing the, the, the tribes by family, the sons of Carmi, the, the sons of Zabdi, uh, the sons of Cosby, these different you know, families. And pretty soon it's just Achan's family. And pretty soon Joshua looks at Achan and says, why have you done this to Israel and taken of the accursed thing? And they took Achan at that moment and his whole family and killed them. And all their possessions they burned with fire. Horrible story. They called the name of that place the Valley of Achor after Achan and his stupid sinful thing of taking dumb little stuff. And, and, and you say, but Brett, why, why was his whole family killed? I don't know the answer to that fully, but I've got a few ideas. One, maybe the family was complicit and maybe they helped him bury the junk under the tent. Who knows? Or maybe it's just that simple lesson that is still equally true. And that is when, when, when the head of the house, Achan, was sinful, it affected his whole family, whether they like it or not. That's true of us that are moms and dads, you know, if we sin, we think, oh, it's just my sin. Don't worry about it. But it will affect, whether you like it or not, it'll affect those you love the most. And Achan, now what a sorrowful story that is, man. Sin always brings about sorrow, but also sin always brings about, number two, slavery. Slavery, that's one of the things the enemy Satan wants to do to you is, is enslave you to sin. You know, Paul says, all things are lawful for me. Everything's, you know, uh, you know, I can do it if I want, is what he's saying. But not all things are profitable or expedient. It's not good for me. I will not be brought under the power of anything. That's what Paul was teaching there. And boy, there's certain sins that will start to lock you in, whether you like it or not. And there's so many addictions that we have in our human nature that we're so quick to become enslaved to sin. Isn't it interesting that there's sort of this mentality that it's the Christians who are enslaved. You can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do the other. Man, we're limited and restricted. But I would argue it's the exact opposite. It's the world that thinks they're full of liberty. Man, we can party, we can drink, we can, you know, we can do drugs, we can have sex outside of marriage, we can be gay, we can live this or that, whatever. But, but little do they know they're the ones who are being enslaved to those things. 
You know, they're, they're thinking they're the liberal ones and they're all free, but actually they're the ones who are in the most bondage and it's so heartbreaking. It's the whole thing where God knows what's good for you and what's bad for you. And if you're gonna go with God, you'll be li- full of liberty and, and the truth will set you free. But if you wanna live the lie and go with the world's way, don't be shocked when you find yourself enslaved to that sin. Enslaved. Just ask Samson. Samson thought that he was Mr. Free. Who's going to mess with Samson? You know, if you try to mess with Samson, he'll kill you. And he could kill a whole army of you if he wanted to. And, 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 and yet, Samson sort of had a few vices that really, man, got him into huge trouble. Probably the worst one is he was, well, he had a thing for the girls. Man, he would, he would go all the way down into Philistine country just to go sleep with a prostitute. And he would do this on a sort of a regular basis. And, and if you recall, he was meant to be set apart for the Lord. He was, he was a lifelong Nazarite. He took a Nazarite vow. And, 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 and remember how he started dabbling with sin? Just playing around with it. That's kind of what we do. Hey, I did it. I got away with it. Seems like I'm free as he scooped the honey out of the dead lion. One of the Nazarite vows, don't, don't touch any dead thing. I'm free, man. Liberty. I, I see that today, by the way, in the modern day church. Liberty in Christ, man. We can do whatever we want. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink alcohol. Usually the person that's arguing that point the loudest is the drunk. But all that to say, Samson, one by one, was knocking down those vows, you know, the, he was walking through a vineyard. A Nazarite wouldn't walk through a vineyard. Wouldn't even have anything to do with grapes or raisins or wine. But he was partying down with the Philistines, probably drinking the wine, going through the vineyard. That was stuff he, strike two. But you know the story when he was there with Delilah. And she finally, after a bunch of coercion, you know, convinced him to tell her the secret. The last thing he hadn't done was cut his hair. And man, what happened to Samson? You know, after she cut his hair and he was asleep, she woke him up and there the Philistines grabbed him and he thought he was going to pound him like he always had done before. But the Bible says that the, the, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Samson and he did not even know it. And it says there in Judges chapter 16, verse 21, but the Philistines took him and poked out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with chains of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Man, there's a sermon for you. What does sin do? It blinds, it binds, it grinds. Right there, three things. They blinded him, he was grinding at the wheel day and night, and he was bound up with chains of brass. That's what sin does. Man, I hope we understand that. You can go and do your sinful thing if you want to, but The Lord has warned us and he lovingly tells us, man, sin's gonna bring you into slavery. You'll be in bondage to that sin. And man, how many people have fallen prey to to the slavery of sin? But it's not just sorrow and it's not just slavery, but sin brings also about a stench. Sin stinks. It's it's one of those things, you know, where it, it sort of smells good at first. You know what I'm talking about, that nice meal that you cooked and everybody ate of it. It was so good and you had leftovers. Oh man, you thought, well, we'll cook those up later and you put them in the fridge, but you kind of forget about them after a while. 
And there are certain foods, particularly, have you ever noticed? Some of the foods that smell the best while they're cooking, fresh and everything good, but man, they sit in that fridge for four or five months. <laughs> you're like, what is that smell? Oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry. I don't, I, it's just, I, it's a, and you open up the fridge. Whoo, your eyes get blurry. It's so bad. You know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those smelly things that, that sin does. It reminds me of a story of a young couple. They were getting married and they were a beautiful couple and everything was great, except for they both had a secret they hadn't told each other. He had a problem with really smelly feet. She had a problem with morning breath. And it was a real bummer. So the guy's like, he went to his dad and said, Dad, man, I gotta, you know my feet. You know, what am I going to do? I'm marrying this girl. She doesn't know. What am I going to He said, okay, son, here's me. Wash your feet, you know, three times a day. Powder, get it all cleaned up. And, and, and then when you go to bed, wear socks. Don't take off, whatever you do, don't take off your socks. Um, he said, okay. The girl, she went to her mom and said, Mom, I'm going to wake up with my morning breath. What, what am I going to do? And she said, okay, here's, honey, set the alarm just a little earlier than your husband. Get up, brush your teeth swish up, you know, some Listerine, and then go back to bed and wake up with that nice, fresh breath. And, and you, but you got to beat them to it. Don't say a word. Don't open your mouth until you do that. Oh, that's a good idea. So they get married, and they're, they're uh, you know, marital bliss, and they're, they're, their plan is working for months. But one morning, the guy wakes up, and oh no, one of his socks had fallen off in bed, and he freaks out. He turns around and he starts digging in the bed and he's looking for his sock and the the girl kind of wakes up and goes, honey, what are you doing? And the guy looks horrified and he said, oh no, you swallowed my sock. (laughs) Now, why did I tell you that story? I I have no idea. Oh yes, thank you. Sin stinks. Sin stinks. And you can try to cover it up if you want to. You can try to cover up the stench, but you won't be able to. Because it always starts to stink up your life. Just ask the prodigal son, remember? As he asked his father for their inheritance. And man, it was, it was great. He had all this money and party. He had tons of friends. And as long as he was busting a move at the party, having a great time, his friends were there. But as soon as he ran out of the money, he, he was broke. His friends blew him off. He was alone. And there he was. He, he found a job just to try to survive slopping the pigs, like the lowest job a guy could ever have. He's a pig slopper. And he, he finds himself so hungry that he's sitting in the pig pen with the pigs, eating the pig slop himself. It doesn't get much more stinky than that. Sin just stinks. And it gets more rank as time goes by, the older you get. You know, um, really brutal. Sin not only brings sorrow, slavery, stench, but also it brings about sickness. One of the things that the Bible has a theme about sin is is sickness and disease. It's always linked to sin, which is interesting. You know, it's interesting to watch our culture freak out right now because of the coronavirus. Everybody's freaking out, and the whole world's freaking out. The CDC, the Chinese, North Korea, um, you know, um, uh, Italy's really stricken. We have the first death in America just north of us uh, up in wa- Washington State. Um, and everybody's freaking out. Now the question is, is it real, a real problem? Is it, is it like the flu or what's going on? Everybody's debating and some people are calling it a hoax and, and it's just a, a, nothing but trouble. 
But it's interesting, whenever I hear of things like that, my brain does a couple things. First of all, the Bible says in the last days, stuff like this would happen. Um, and we can talk about that. And man, there's so many things going on. Plague of locusts right now that's huge in Africa. It's one of the biggest plagues maybe in the world's history of locusts that's destroying, you know, millions of miles of crops and stuff. It's like a crazy, crazy deal. And, and, and because of that, there's going to be prolific famine this coming year in Africa. Like, it's, it's really kind of a crazy deal that's going on there. But I, I think, man, the Bible says in the last days there'll be that kind of stuff. But also, when I think of disease, it reminds me of what happened in the Garden of Eden. There was no disease until man ushered it in. We brought in disease when we sinned. And death entered into the world when we sinned there in the garden. And when you and I sin, it's all death. But the Bible sort of equates sickness with sin. In fact, let's back up a little bit again. Go with me to chapter 1 of Isaiah and look at verse 4. It says in in, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, here's Isaiah chiding against the people for their sin. He says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? He asked, why should you keep being sick? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises, putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. He said, man, you guys are sick from your sin from head to toe. Open, stinking wounds, he says. Isaiah's not pulling any punches. He's telling them what their sin has done to them. Why are you, are you going to just keep being stricken with this? He says, you guys are sick. In Isaiah chapter 3, just a few pages to the right, verse 11, he says, Woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him for the reward of his hands. That's Isaiah three eleven. What? Woe. That's one of those big woes I was telling you about. Woe unto the wicked. It will be ill. You'll be sick. That's the idea. It'll be ill with him. Um, All throughout the Bible, you see how sin brings about sickness. So when, when you're tempted to sin, wouldn't it be great if you and I had all of this stuff at the forefront of your mind? Okay, I'm about to do something, and it's going to bring out sorrow. It's going to bring about slavery. It's going to bring about stench. And it's going to bring about sickness. If we could only remind ourselves of that and associate the sickness and the stench and the disease. I grew up in the country and uh, we all had chickens and all the neighbors had chickens. But once in a while you'd have a chicken dog. A dog that had a taste for Kentucky fried chicken or organ fried chicken as it were. And um, you can't fix a dog that's a chicken dog. And, and so the way our neighborhood handled it, if a dog got to anyone's chicken, it was fair game. You shoot the dog. That's the way it was. But I'm told that there was another way you could unchicken a chicken dog. And I've never tried this, but they say that they find the chicken that the dog killed, and then they take that dead chicken and they tie it to the neck of the dog. And the dog has to walk around for weeks with this decomposing chicken around his neck. 
And he walks around, and, and eventually the stench and the grossness and everything just makes the dog sick of it, apparently. And then as soon as they un- undo the chicken and the dog goes away, he doesn't come even close to a chicken coop from that day forward. I don't know. I never tried that one. Some of you say, that's horrible. Yeah, that's what country people do. Um, uh, and maybe trying to save the dog. Wouldn't it be something if every time you and I sinned, the Lord just strapped that sin to our neck and we had to smell it for years to come? That's the idea. That's what Isaiah is saying. Man, your sin stinks and you're sick and you're in trouble. And even you're going to your temple and worshiping God is sick. And the Lord says, I don't even, I don't even want to see you do that anymore. Heavy, heavy stuff. So that's the bad news. That's the bad news. So what's the good news? Well, even though you and I have sinned, and we all have, the Bible says everyone sinned, no one is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's who we are as people. We're sinners. But praise be to the Lord. The Lord is more than reasonable. It's this verse that's before us. It's so beautiful when you look at it in light of what Isaiah just told these people. Come now, let us reason together. Let's break this down a little bit. In fact, the first word, come. What a glorious invitation. The Lord says, come, come. Man, if you ever want to do an interesting study, just study all the the invitations of the Bible. I love some of the beautiful invitations. I'll give you a few of my favorites. Maybe you can jot them down. I'll give you a little bit of a head start in your invitation study. But I love Isaiah 55, chapter 55, verse 1, where he says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the water, He that hath no money, come ye by and eat. He invites us, oh, if you're hungry and thirsty, come, come to me. Jesus said, come unto me in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. I love that invitation. I love where Jesus also talked about that, not only in Matthew 11, 28, but also Matthew 14, 28. Jesus told Peter, come. When Peter said, hey, you're out walking on water. Can I bid me that I might come? And and Jesus said, come. He invited him to come walk on water. Do something radical. I love that. Matthew 14, 28. Matthew 19, 14. Jesus said, let the little children come. And John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. Jesus said, if any man thirsts, let him come and drink. The disciples were out fishing and they were looking for fish, but they found none. But there was Jesus at the shore cooking up that fish. The very thing they were looking for that they couldn't find, Jesus had all along. And he said, come and dine. Man, the invitations of our Lord is so beautiful. He's always inviting us to enjoy and to be blessed. The enemy, Satan, would say, come and sin and get messed up and tweaked out and stink. But the Lord says, come, let us reason together. Be reasonable. Have you ever tried to, you know, reason with someone? The Lord invites us to come and reason. We'll talk about that in a second. But this idea of come, come unto me, the Lord would say. I love that. Beautiful invitation. But not only the word come, but what about the second word? Come when? Come now. I think that's important. I don't want to miss that. He says, come now, let us reason together. Not come, well, someday in your life you'll get it together. We'll figure out when you can come to me. No, come right now. When is it time to repent of your sins? Now. 
When is it time to stop messing around with sin? Right now. Um, What is it in human nature that makes us put off repentance and breaking off our sin? There's something weird about us that wants to stay in the stench, that wants to enjoy the, the, the tiny pleasure for 10 seconds, but it brings about sorrow, suffering, sickness, stench. We'll still mess with it, even though it's just a short little lived pleasure. We'll, we'll, we'll hang there with that sickness forever. When should we come to the Lord? You know, it reminds me of um, Genesis 19 when, uh, you know, uh, Lot and his family were in Sodom, speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah. And before the fire and brimstone rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah, listen to what the angel said in Genesis 19:17. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad, they said to Lot and his family, escape for your life. Don't even look back. Neither stay in the plain. Escape to the mountain lest thou be consumed. Do you sense a little urgency there? If an angel comes to you and says, run for your life. What should you do? <laughs> Isn't it funny that Lot lingered there in Sodom, the Bible says, and the angels finally, like, get out of Dodge or Sodom, as it were. You know, like, come on. I wonder if some of us need that splash of cold water this morning. Run for your life from the sin that's enslaved you, that stinks. Run. Get out of there now. Come now. Let us reason together. It's so urgent. Um, it's, it's amazing that human nature just wants to kind of chill with the sin. It reminds me of what I brought up on, uh, on Wednesday night um, when we were studying this in chapter 1. Remember verse 5 where he was talking about how sick they were? He said in verse 5, why should you be stricken anymore? He's asking a, a question rhetorically, and the answer is you shouldn't be. You should stop being sick. It's a choice you can make. Come now. It it reminds me also of what we mentioned, you know, from the book of Exodus. Remember the the plagues? And and the plague of frogs, man, that had to have been horrible. So many frogs. There were frog carcasses piled up everywhere, huge piles of dead frogs. And it says the whole land began to stink. That's what sin does. And those frogs, you'd walk down the street, and frogs just squishing between your toes. Frogs in your bed, frogs in your food. It was a horrible plague. And finally, Pharaoh and the, the people of Egypt said, get Moses. And so Moses comes in with his staff and, and, and Pharaoh says, okay, 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 you can, I'll let my people go. You, know, you let your people go, but, but man, you got to get rid of these frogs. And then Moses asked the most curious question, when would you like the frogs to leave? I'm not kidding. Just a, a couple Sundays ago, a, a person came up and asked me, Brett, I was reading through Exodus and this, this thing about Pharaoh saying, tomorrow, what's up with that? And it was great. I got to explain this truth, and that is, that's human nature. One more night with the frogs. That's what it is. Pharaoh, Moses says, when would you like me to pray the frogs be gone? I would have said, uh, right now, magically make them disappear now. They stink. They're squishing between my toes. Let's get them out of here. But Pharaoh says, no, okay, you can pray tomorrow for the frogs to go. He just wanted one more night with the frogs. That's human nature right there. We just want to hang in our sin just a little bit longer. And that's really what the Lord is trying to keep the children of Israel from doing. Oh, he says, come now. 
Now is the time for salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I love the urgency that we see Paul articulate in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. He says, he says, knowing the time that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness or chambering or wantonness, not in strife or envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Man, he says, it's high time to awake out of our sleep, put off the works of darkness, that's sin, and put on the armor of light, that's Jesus. I wonder what it is that you personally, don't think about Uncle Bob right now or the person that should have been here at the service hearing this about sin. What is it that you have? Because you know what? We all have sin. And, and, and even if you think you don't have sin, that might just be your sin. That, the thing, that you think you're good. We all have sins. Even, even if it's stuff like gossip or meddling or being bitter or envious or jealous. Oh, it could be the big ones as well. We could talk about addictions and all that stuff that's plaguing our culture. Maybe it's screen time. Too much screen time. Maybe it's social media and you're, you sit, sit there and wa- watch social media and wonder if what people think about you. And they're actually not thinking about you at all. Well, that's depressing too, Brett. I want them to think about me. And the food that I had this morning for breakfast. You know, it's a funny thing that, that we, uh, we have little sinful nature, but we want to hang on to it. Come now, let us reason together. The time is now. And that's what the Lord says. He says, come now. Number three, as we break up this verse a little bit, come, number one, now, number two, but number three, let us reason together. Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe wants to reason with you? I think that's amazing. Have you ever tried to reason with someone who's unreasonable? That's a tough job right there. I remember as a young man, I I was uh, trying to share the good news of the gospel with a guy who was totally drunk. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with a drunk person? Have you ever tried to be reasonable with a drunk person? Drunk people are not reasonable. Uh, there might be the poster, uh, when you see uh, unreasonable, you might just see a drunk person there. But it's funny, when you try to reason with unreasonable people, um, man, that's a frustration. So here's the Lord who's perfectly reasonable, more than reasonable, and, and he wants to reason with you and me less than reasonable. We're the ones who are clinging to our sin. We're the ones who have forsaken the, the, the admonitions of the Lord and done our own thing. And the Lord says, I want to reason with you. Be reasonable. I love how the Lord cares about reason. You know, you guys know Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, he says, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, what? Reasonable service. Man, giving your life to the Lord, that's reasonable. To serve him, to walk with him, to do his will, that's reasonable. The Lord says, come now, let us reason together. I love the reasonableness of our God. You know, that might go without saying for a lot of you that have been Christians and you know the Lord, like, yeah, the Lord's reasonable. Okay, got it, Brad, let's move on. But do you realize how many people, that's the thing that keeps them from God is they don't understand he's reasonable. Oh, I think it's unreasonable. If God is love, then he won't send people to hell. That's just you being unreasonable. 
God is reasonable. And by the way, if you're, if you're saying that, or if you think that, man, you are so deceived and unreasonable. Because the, the truth is that when, when we sin against the Lord, the Bible says there's a, there's a penalty for that sin and it's death. But the Lord, Peter tells us, the Lord would that none should perish. God wants no one to perish. That's God's heart. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But he's a perfect gentleman. He doesn't force himself on you. He doesn't make you believe. He doesn't make you follow him. You can do your own thing if you want to and be stupid, unreasonable. But reason says, man, you, you realize you're a sinner and God loves you so much that he gives you the free ticket out of your sin and the free access to heaven. That's what God does. I would say that's more than reasonable. What is more than reasonable? Well, that's the word grace. Grace is being more than reasonable. More than you deserve, better than you should have ever imagined or thought. You know, um, uh, I think it'd be reasonable if God just says, okay, you repent, I'm just gonna let you cease to exist and go into oblivion. That'd be reasonable. But God says, no, I actually wanna bless your socks off. Even though you're a rascal, even though you've sinned and you've done all these things, I just want you to be totally blessed out of your mind. And that's what God says, come now, let us be reasonable. Though your sins be as scarlet. That's the next phrase. Your sins be as scarlet. Though they be red like crimson. Why is that redundant? Why does he say that twice? He he says, one, your sins be as scarlet, white as snow. Your sins be red like crimson. They'll be white as wool. Well, there's an imagery there that we can talk about for hours, actually, if we wanted to. And I could, and I know you're not shocked by that. But, um, but the truth is, um, there's the main imagery I want you to see is the, the, the idea of red. There's two Hebrew words employed for red. That's why in your English, one says red, you know, or scarlet, and the other says crimson. Um, because there are two separate words. One, the first one is kind of the word in the Hebrew for generally the word red. Though your sins be red, they'll be white as snow. Red and white. And that would have brought that image to the people, but, but then the second one brings a whole nother image, though they be like crimson. That's, that's the Hebrew word that maybe some of you are familiar with. The word crimson in the Hebrew there, uh, if you look it up, it's the word tolit. Does anybody know what that is? Remember what we talked about in Psalm 22? It's this amazing word picture that the Lord uses all throughout the scripture that's linked to this little worm. Why is the word crimson the word tolet. Well, it's, it's, it's like a word that has two meanings. It means worm, but it also means red. Well, why does it mean red? That's stupid. Nope. It's, it's very logical because the tolet worm, they would collect these little worms in ancient times, and it was the first historical way they could actually make red dye for clothing. Red was this royal color that they'd loved, but it was hard to make red clothing. And the way they did it is they'd take these little cocos elicits, these little uh, worms, and they'd collect them and then they'd grind them up. And it would make this bright red substance that was like an indelible dye that they could soak clothing in and it would make the, the clothing bright red. And so that's why the word means the same thing, red. Tolet, red or worm. So, so it's an amazing, through crushing, there's redness, and then, but see, the story of the way the worm works is even more fascinating. Um, in fact, do you remember the, the, one of the perhaps greatest messianic psalms is Psalm 22. Would you go back there with me? Keep your finger here and go, go to Psalm 22. Let's do a refresher 
on that one because this this is it starts off if you remember Psalm 22 with the words from the cross where Jesus quotes Psalm 22 one while he's hanging on the cross he says in verse one of Psalm 22 my God my God why hast thou forsaken me and he goes on and, and there's so much about Jesus in this chapter prophetically it's amazing but go to verse six Psalm 22 verse six he says but I am a worm that's the word tolit in the, in the Hebrew. And no man, a reproach of men, despised of the people. Verse 7, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot the lip and they shake their head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted him. Remember, that's what they said when he was hanging on the cross. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? This is a prophetic psalm about Jesus on the cross. Great stuff. But people say, well, why would Jesus call himself a worm if this is a prophecy about Jesus? Why would he say, I am a toilet worm? Well, that's interesting because, see, the, the toilet worm would climb up on a, a tree and the female worm would climb up and fasten herself to the tree, like, permanently. Once the female tree or worm was fastened, it was a permanent fastening, almost like a a cocoon chrysalis sort of thing like a, a, a caterpillar does. But this worm connects itself to the tree and then kind of covers itself over and then gives, uh, you know, birth to the little wormlets. I don't know what you call baby worms, but we'll call them wormlets. <laughs> and these little baby worms come out and the mother dies in childbirth, wormlet birth. And, and, and then it gets really weird. These little wormlets survived by eating the body of the mother worm who was hanging on the tree. And eventually the worms start to grow and then they go off and be their little worms that they are. But what's left on the tree is this bright red spot where this mother worm had given her life for her little ones hanging on a tree. And there's this bright red spot. Well, after a few days, after the worms are long gone, this little red spot starts to turn bright white And it starts, as the wind blows, the little white stain starts to kind of flake off. And eventually the wind blows it off and it falls like snow to the ground. And if you go to this region of the world where these toilet worms are in the Middle East, it's an amazing thing because a certain time each year where where that happens, it looks like it's snowing outside because of these toilet worm, you know, uh, flakes from the tree. Isn't it funny how... God uses his own creation to depict his beautiful and glorious work. He says, I am a toilet worm who hangs on a tree and gives my life. And even as Jesus said, eat of my body, drink of my blood. And that's how you you survive. And then your sins were like scarlet. They shall be white as snow. Like the picture is kind of amazing, really. And so then it says, though your sins be like toilet, the worm, red, they'll be as white as snow. There's a link there. White as wool. Well, wool is white. It just doesn't look like it when a sheep's dirty. But when you give a a sheep a bath, I know something about this. I had sheep in 4-H. You can make wool look really, really white. And that's the true nature of its color. But I love that the Lord takes something. By the way, did you know red is one of the hardest colors to get out, especially red dye? Once red dye has hit material, you can't get it out. There's no way to get it out without destroying to the very essence of the thread. Uh, you, can't dis- you can't get the certain kind of red out. 
and the Bible people knew this, if you had to toll it to die, hit the cloth, it was going to be red no matter what you did. And yet here's the Lord saying, though your sins be red, which humanly speaking, you can't get that out. But the Lord says, I can. Though your sins be indelible, irremovable, perfectly stained forever, I will make them white as snow. Do you, do you understand what good news this is? Not only for the children of Israel who were in a heap of trouble in Isaiah chapter 1, but it's good for you and me who are also in a heap of trouble because we're sinful too. We've failed. We've made mistakes. And you know what? I would think it'd be good for you and for me this morning to consider, am I still wallowing in my stench of sin? Am I still taking up sinful stuff? But good news, come now, right now. Be reasonable and let the Lord take your sins that are red and spotted and turn them white as snow. That's what the Lord wants to do for you. That's the gracious, merciful love of God. Amen? Would you bow your heads, please, with me? I'd like you just to have an attitude of prayer with your heads bowed. And I wonder if there's some of you that have yet to accept Christ. Maybe for some reason you've not really received the love of Christ. Maybe you've never heard the gospel. And that is, you're you're a sinner, and the wage of that sin is eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And the Lord would say to you today, come now. Why, why would you wait any longer? Why would you wallow in your sin? Hey, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. None of us are perfect. But it means we're perfectly forgiven for our sins. Though your sins were as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. He'll wash you, cleanse you. That's what he wants to do and forgive you for all your sins. If you're confessing your sins to the Lord, the first John chapter one, verse nine says, you'll, you confess, he'll be faithful. He'll be just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Uh, repentance is part of the deal. You have to repent. That is to change your mind and say, I'm a sinner. And I acknowledge that. And I've sinned against God and I want forgiveness for those sins. That's, that's the key. And if that's you, I'd love to pray a prayer of confession of faith. And if you want that, man, you can be saved. You can have your sins forgiven. If that's you and you want to do that and confess Christ and be saved, man, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose up from the grave and I'm forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We encourage you to take advantage of our media ministry by visiting us at athecreek.com anytime. There we have all of Pastor Brett's Bible studies available as a free download. 